And so, as I said, we're going to be in the book of Philippians. We are in this series that we've called The Big Picture. We wanted to start the year very purposefully looking at the big picture, having our perspective and our eyesight lifted up to the big things, to the big important things, as it may be uh, easy, as Hannah's alluded to, at this strange time of life to be looking down and focused on the circumstance that's a bit tough at the moment. It's so important that we look up and we see the big picture. And this morning we're going to be looking at being a people of the cross. People of the cross. Now how does this fit in with the big picture? Well last week, as I said, Tom spoke to us from one of the other letters of Paul. A a pastoral letter that he wrote to his friend and son in the Lord, Timothy. Helping Timothy to see this is how we want people who are in Christ to respond to being in Christ. This is what it is to be a Christian. And one of the phrase, some of the phrases that Tom uh, spoke to us from last week were from chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, verse 14 to 16. And in that it says you, that you may know how to behave in the household of God. God wants his people to behave a certain way. But today I want to remind us, as Tom did last week, that, that Paul and God are not into behavioral modification. They're not into... Uh, We want you to behave a certain way because that's what it means to be a Christian. You must do this, this, and this, and this. No, the whole point is something has happened that we have to respond to out of a response to what has happened. Now, how does this fit in with the big picture? Well, from the very beginning, from Genesis, God has always said, I want to have a people for myself, a people that are my own. God said to Abraham in Genesis 17, You will be father of many nations. Abraham, who was of old age, whose wife was barren up until this point, had no hope, really, for descendants. God said, your descendants will outnumber the stars, and they will be my people. God's desire is to have a people for himself. He said to Moses in Exodus 6, verse 7, that that I will be your God. You will be my people who I brought out of slavery. He wants to have a people for himself. It's always been God's desire, yes, but more than his desire, it's been his plan that he is fulfilling, has been fulfilling. That people who are saved, and wonderfully we're going to celebrate two baptisms later on today, people brought in, plunged right into Jesus have not just come to a personal salvation, a personal good, I'm out of the fire and into one day heaven, but come into a family, a body, a people group that God is making for himself. A people that make up the body of Christ, with Christ as the head. God's desire is that we are to look a certain way because we are a certain thing, because we are a people that he has won for himself. Last week, Tom spoke to us about being the household of God, about being the assembly of the church of the living God. Remember the word he, he brought out there, ecclesia? It is to be the brought out people, the called out ones. That the people of God are not just uh, people that are the same as everyone else but have a slightly different story. No, we're the called out ones, called out of darkness into light. And as we just sang these incredible, incredible lines from perhaps to many of us very familiar songs, we should still be amazed. I'm so grateful that God has helped me over the years to sing a song, Light of the World, You Step Down Into Darkness, that I've been singing for 20, 25 years and still think, wow, 
Light of the world, king of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above, humbly you came to the earth that you created, to men that you created, to be pierced to a cross that you created the wood for. It's for the men's muscles that you made work to smash nails into your hands. Humbly you came to the earth you created, all for love's sake became poor. This is amazing grace. This is amazing gospel. This great salvation. We are a people of salvation, a people of victory. We're a people of the cross. We must maintain the freshness that we are a people of the cross. I like to imagine sometimes that, imagine what it would have been like if, if this had happened a few months ago. If we were first century people responding to this. Do you, do you know what happened? That Jesus of Nazareth, that one that was died, that pierced to that cross. Remember, he, he burst through the grave. He rose again. And then he ascended into to glory. It's just happened. And what does this mean for us? This is what these epistles are. For the, for the decades after Jesus had risen in glory, Paul's writing, this is what it means for us. Now, I like to think what it would be like as he's writing to these people and think, this is still what it means for us. This is still what it means for me. It's not outdated. It's not 2,000 years ago we've moved on. No, this is still what it means for me. This is still what it looks like for me. God has won for himself a people And Paul's desire is that they may know how to behave in the household of God. The love of God, the grace of God, the salvation of God given to us in such incredible, by such incredible means, it it requires a response from us. It's a gift. My wife got me some slippers for Christmas. I've been wearing rubbish slippers that were little plastic thin soles and I could feel the cold kitchen floor coming through them and I was always complaining my feet are cold my feet are cold and she lovingly bought me some thick soles with nice inner wool inside my feet are nice and cozy and warm now now she's given me a gift what's my response there's many responses aren't there if someone gives you a gift what could the response be it could be well thank you Gratitude. Thank you for this gift. Thank you that you've given me this. That would be appropriate, wouldn't it? Most of us, when we open the gift, thank you. Perhaps it would be, oh, I'm going to get you a gift. I feel indebted to you. I want to get you a gift. That would be maybe a response, but it, it shouldn't be a response out of I need to repay a debt because it was a gift. But maybe we overflow with I want to, I want to give back. Or it could be I'm going to take really good care of these slippers. That could be a response. I'm really going to look after them. Looking after my baby girl yesterday, I got talcum powder on them. I thought, I've got to get that off. I want to look after them, not just throw them around. But listen, if I don't wear them as a response, there's a real problem. There's something dreadfully wrong if I'm thanking her and leaving them on the side and walking downstairs and saying, my feet are freezing. She's given me a gift to wear. And it's in the experience of wearing them that I can turn and say, oh, my feet are warm, thank you. I can say, 
oh, I really love these. They're really, and really enjoying them. I want to get you something. It's in the experience of enjoying the gift and putting it on. And Paul's desire for Christians is put on the cross. Put on the gospel. Put on the good news. Put on the victory. Put on your salvation. He even says to the Galatians in his letter, put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Is it the Galatians or the Ephesians? Ephesians? I knew I got that one. He put, put, but he says throughout his letters, put on righteousness in a robe. God wants to clothe you in it. Our salvation is to be worn. And out of being worn, we find, ah, I can respond in certain ways. We're going to look at how Paul responds through Philippians 1 and how he calls these Christians to respond, not out of duty, not out of, you've been given a gift, so you better say thank you. So you better look after it. So you better know that you're indebted. No, put it on and experience the goodness of it. How does Paul respond? What's his response? Well, Paul's response is in chapter 1, Verse 1, the fourth word is quite alarming, actually. Particularly for our day and age, it's quite maybe even uncomfortable for some of us. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. Now, that in itself is a little bit scary. I thought I was called into sonship and freedom, but servants? Now let me tell you something even more alarming. This word has slightly been watered down for us because the original Greek is doulos. It means slave. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Paul has seen this Jesus who he once hated, the high king of heaven, king of all days, highly exalted, come condescend to him, pick him out of the miry pit and put his feet on a rock by being crushed by human hands, by the judgment that was aimed at Paul for his sin being directed at the perfect lamb of God on the cross. And he is blown away. He is completely overwhelmed with the love of God if he can do that for me. If the king of heaven can do that for me, then I want to be his slave. I want to be a bondservant of Christ Jesus. I never want to be more than a foot away from him. Tie me to him. I'm his forever. Like the great um, hymn by Isaac Watts says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory dies... My richest gain I count as loss and I pour contempt on all my pride. See, Paul's heart is overwhelmed with the love of God. He's a man of the cross. There's one thing, there's two things that Jesus calls us to do as you might call rituals, sacraments. One is to be baptised and we're going to celebrate that today. But that only happens once. We don't go on being baptised again and again and again because we get baptised once to show... Jesus died once and was risen to life once and that accomplished for all time my salvation. But there's something he calls us to do again and again and again. That is whenever you meet, drink wine, 
and bread, remembering my death, my blood spilled for you, my bones broken for you. He wants you to be a person who is always aware and living in the light of the cross, his death for you. That's where he wants your home to be. He wants that to be in and around your house table when you meet together. I want you to come around, orbiting around the cross, remembering my love most displayed for you in that the King of Heaven would come and give his life for you. And Paul's response and our response, those who know this salvation, to be, I was dead and I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. I was broken and he's making me whole, is I want to be a bondservant for you. Not because of duty, but because in this great salvation that I'm wearing I experience the love of God that means I never want to be away from you. I never want to go another direction from you. Paul and Timothy, bond servants, slaves of Christ Jesus. And he has four things that I want to bring to our attention this morning as I look through this book, um, particularly this first chapter. And it is firstly that slaves of Christ have knowledge and discernment. If we look at verses 9 to 11. 9 to 11, it says this, Paul's desire for the church in Philippi. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's saying, I, I, I want you to grow in love. And he doesn't, he doesn't um, clarify. Does he mean love of each other? Or does he mean love for Jesus? I think it's because he means love. Love for all. Love for Jesus. Love for each other. I want you to grow in a love for each other that comes out of a love for Jesus. I want you to grow in love that abounds. It just overflows out of you. But listen, it's not our crummy worldly empty love that we have at the moment that is just tell me nice things about me empty not rooted in anything unfounded and left leaves us wanting when we actually need help no it is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment knowledge wisdom discernment what what kind of love is this it's the love of God who created life, who knows how life works. I want you to grow in love for one another. That will give you wisdom, discernment. Because then he goes on to say, so that you may approve what is excellent. What do you mean approve what is excellent? You mean there's, there's right and wrong? Yes. And I want you to know those. And I want you to encourage each other in right and wrong. And making wise decisions and discernment that carries you into abundance of life. Not just abundance of life, but he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness. If you're in Christ, if you're a slave to Christ, if you're saying, Christ, I follow you where you tell me to go. Because you've won my heart, because I'm a man of the cross I look at the cross and say, how can I not follow him? How can I not bow the knee to him? How can I not trust him with everything I have? If you're a man or a woman of the cross, you 
eat this up. You chew on this. It's the wisdom of God. It gives us knowledge. It gives us discernment. It helps us to live fruitful lives with one another. That's Paul's desire for the church in Philippi, that we would grow in knowledge and discernment. In love, yes, in love. Not our empty love of 21st century Great Britain, Western world but love rooted, grounded in wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It fits with this. Grow in love and knowledge for Him, bound to Him, slave of Him, fear of the Lord, It's going to give you wisdom, knowledge, insight. Secondly, slaves of Christ. So firstly, slaves of Christ have honor, sorry, have knowledge and discernment. Secondly, slaves of Christ honor Christ in their bodies. We're looking at verse 20 to 21. What do we do with this knowledge and discernment? Well, great, wait, we've got got knowledge. Great, we've got wisdom. So what? Well, look at verse 20 to 21. And it is my eager expectation, so Paul's again looking at his own example, his life, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. What is he saying here? What does it mean to honour Christ in our bodies? It means to use the knowledge and discernment that we have to make decisions with our actions. How we use our bodies is, are we going to honour Christ? Are we going to honour his wisdom? Are we going to choose him? Are we going to choose ourselves? Are we going to choose fear? Are we going to choose anxiety? Are we going to choose shame or guilt? Are we going to choose selfishness or are we going to choose to honour him with our bodies? Well, he calls me to do this, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to honour him. What, what does Paul mean when he says, um, I, won't, I don't want to be ashamed? It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. What does he mean, not be ashamed? Well, he's saying one day there'll be a day where I'll be face to face with this one who still has scars on his hands for my sake. This one whose body was broken, this, this prince of heaven who was killed for my sake. Can, am I really going to stand before him, looking him in the eyes and say, you didn't withhold anything for me, but I didn't really like it when you said to me, forgive others. I didn't really like your ways, so I withheld from you. That would bring him such shame to stand, it would bring him such regret to stand before the king of heaven that day and think, how can I look upon your face as the one who gave it all for me? And I would say, but I didn't honour you. I didn't choose you. No, he, he has actually gone far in the opposite direction. He is eagerly anticipating the day where he will not be ashamed because he says, for me to live is Christ. I've made that decision. I stick to it. I'm holding on to Christ. I'm going to choose him with my actions. I want to honour him in my body. Now listen, if you are 
a friend, any kind of friend, if you're married, if you have a good relationship, you know that there's such a thing as honour that I think is so sadly being swept away more and more. To honour somebody, to do what is right by them, to, whether they're in the room or not, to honour them, to choose them, to choose the best for them. One of the things that we're called to in one anotherings is to... Is to uh, uh, honour others as better than ourselves. I can't remember the phrasing, but to value others as better than ourselves. We want to be a people who honour one another in Christ, as we honour Christ, as we choose him. My wife wants to know I will honour her whether she's in the room or not. I'll speak well of her. I will choose to do right by her whether she's in the room or not. Paul's saying, I anticipate the day when I'm before him, when he knows every decision I've made, where I won't have to think, wow, such love, such love given to me, flowing out from the throne of heaven. I'm standing before love incarnate right now, and suddenly I realize I withheld from you. I didn't trust you. Your love wasn't good enough for me. I was really an enemy of the cross. I wasn't a man of the cross. I didn't look at the cross and think, when I behold the wondrous cross, everything is yours. I don't withhold anything from you. So, slaves of Christ honour Christ in their body. They choose him, as you might say on the, you would not often hear on a wedding day, forsaking all others. Forsaking all others, I choose you. Slaves of Christ will honour Christ in their bodies. Again, not to repay, but because when we put on the slippers, we feel, we put on the salvation, we feel, wow, how could I not? How could I not? As a response to him. Thirdly, slaves of Christ live lives worthy of the gospel worked out side by side. Verse 27 of chapter 1 says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And I read that again because I think in terms of going into this year, How does this shape us as a body? How does this salvation shape us as a church people, as one another, together? How does it shape us? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, worthy of the good news, worthy of this salvation that you once were destined for death and eternal separation from God, but he's plucked you out and saved you. Live a life worthy of that. Not not to repay but to embrace and live in the goodness of. So that whether I'm there or not, I may hear of you that you're standing in one spirit, united, with one mind, united, striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel. Paul's desire for the people are that they are a people united. United. What are we united about? What are we united in? I was listening to an, a, an interview with my dad the other day, and he's a he's a Christian uh, leader, and he was 
making a, an interesting anecdotal point where he, was, he heard someone say, we must get our people something that they can have mutual interests in. Uh, we do our life groups and we encourage people to get, have friendships around mutual interests at times. But this person, was, he was remarking, he was thinking, this is interesting, this person is desperate for their church to have something, something they could be united about, something that might bring them together. Whatever could that be? Wow. And he reflected, you've got Jesus. You've got Jesus. He must be the son that we orbit about. He must be the cross, the gospel. It must be what captivates us, what our gaze is on, so that 25 years after singing the same song, we still can think, this is amazing. Light of the world, step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. This is amazing. And we, hand in hand, side by side, are amazed, orbiting this son of heaven, saying, we're slaves of you. Do with us what you will. We love you. You've changed our life. You've turned our lives upside down. You've given us such knowledge. You've given us such wisdom in your word. We want to honor you, Christ, and we want to do that side by side. He's called us to be a people marked out, Okay, uh, what's the phrase we had last week? Called out ones. Called out side by side. We are, we're not to look like those around us. There must be a contrast because we are called out of darkness into light. And we're called out of darkness into light side by side. United with each other. Looking at Jesus. Captivated by him. So as we go into this year, as we go into life groups, if you're somebody who says, I need help, because I often am not looking at Jesus. I'm often saying, bind me to something else. Bind me to what would make me feel good today. Just, just give me a few beers. It will help drown out the, the difficulty of life. If you're somebody who says, no, I need to be bound to this Jesus, but I struggle on my own, get into the community of the church. Get into Side by side, unity, looking to Jesus. That's what we're called to be. That is Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. Humbly one anothering. We did a, a morning together series that we put out on Facebook and YouTube earlier in December. It was wonderful to see uh, 30 different people in the church just reflecting on how it looks to respond to this salvation in relationship to each other. What does that look like? How, is it, how does it mark us different from the world? So that we might say, I would normally not forgive that person, but I forgive, I, I trust this one on the cross so much as I look on him, as I survey the wondrous cross, I trust him and I say, I'll do what you tell me to do. And I'll trust that I don't do it with a, my arm behind my back. It's not that kind of slavery. It's Paul saying, I want to be a slave. I want to do what you call me to do. And so we, we run into the arms of one anothering how he's called us to do. So I, I want to encourage you today where you know I, I withhold forgiveness from that person. I'm struggling with that person. I withhold bearing with that person. I, I don't really uh, admonish as well as I should do. I, I, don't, I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. I don't like encouraging others because it makes me have to put them higher than me. I don't like that. As you recognize, I don't really live the life in community or in relationship with others as I'm called to in the New Testament. Look at the cross and be blown away again 
by his faithfulness towards you, his trustworthy heart towards you, and trust him. He is not a harsh schoolmaster, ready with a cane. He's the one who says, put on this salvation. Reap the benefits of it. Know the fruit of it. Trust me as I call you to do the things I call you to do, that there is fruit, there is life in abundance for you there. So uh, that was to look at walking side by side with one another because we are citizens of heaven together. See, where he says in verse 27, he's saying, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus. He's saying, because you are actually citizens of another place. You're citizens of heaven. You've been brought out. You have a new home. Behave as citizens together of this new home that you are part of together. Citizens of another kingdom, called out ones, called out to other principles called out to other priorities, called out to other ambitions. I hope that you found when you became a Christian, your priorities shifted big time. Your principles changed. Your ambitions changed as you realized, my master has changed because I'm a slave of Christ now. I'm willingly a slave of Christ. I'm happily running to what he called me to do. My print, everything's changed because my master's changed. My allegiance has changed. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And everything changes. So as we go into this year determined to be a people of the cross, we go in determined to have the same master together. And there are times where we might feel uh, against one another. And I want to encourage you, it's clear, we don't battle against flesh and blood. We don't battle against each other. We battle against principalities and powers. The enemy would have us divided. Christ would have us united. Remember this year when you feel, I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to let go of this grudge. I, I'm, I'm fearful about this. I'm angry about this. Remember, there's somebody else. The enemy is chipping away at you. Reject that. Be united with that person. Say, look, the enemy's trying to separate us here. Let's, let's, let's trust our master. Let's come together through this. As we see the early church did this, it says in Acts 4, this amazing statement, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Now that's just a picture of unity, isn't it? A picture of we come together. Us who were separated, us who uh, had... Completely different backgrounds. I mean, look at the disciples. You've got tax collectors. You've got fishermen. Uh, you've got all different. You've got zealots. You've got all different backgrounds. But they come together united in Christ. And they're able to walk side by side together. And we see it birthing the early church and the unity that there was therein. And finally, the final point here is that through these things that we've talked about, through uh, the knowledge and wisdom of God being displayed in us, through our uh, unity together, through how we honour Christ and we choose Christ first, through how we are slaves, sorry, through how we are working side by side to do these things, slaves of Christ display that their God is God. 
Okay, so let's look at verse 28. It says this. We might have to read on from 27 for it to make a bit more sense. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. When Christians behave as slaves of God, united to him, determined to choose him, loving one another, with him as their master, it displays to the world that their God is God. Why would Paul want people to see their destruction? That's a strange phrase. You might think, why would Paul? That's not nice. Or is it? We've got to be real. We've got to think more deeply than just, that might hurt someone's feelings. Paul's desire is that people are rescued from the pit of destruction. I don't know if you heard of the, uh, the, the magician's pen and teller. Um, they are, at least the guy called Penn Gillette is, uh, is now a, he's an atheist. But he tells this story that is quite compelling. He says this, he was doing a show. And after the show, a man that he called to come up on stage, as you do, to be a, uh, a helper in some way, he, he came to him after the show and it says this, the man complimented Gillette on the show and then said, I brought this for you. The man held up a small book. It was the New Testament with Psalms, something that could fit in a person's pocket. Have this. The man explained that he was a businessman and not crazy. Gillette, moved by the man's gesture, recalls he was kind and nice and sane. And he looked me in the eyes and he talked to me and then he gave me this Bible. I've always said, Gillette explained, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Now that means share their faith. I don't respect that at all. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Gillette then offered this example to illustrate his point. If I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point that I tackle you. And this is more important than that. See, his point's a really helpful point, isn't it? We can think it's not nice to to want people to know about their destruction. What? It's the most loving thing you could do if they're genuinely going towards destruction. And Paul is saying the way we live, it should display such love, such wisdom, that people look on and realize I'm lost. I don't know this. People look on and they see, I am destined for emptiness. I'm destined for destruction. Listen, there are things that Jesus calls us to in this word that are scary in this day and age. I mean, they shouldn't be. It makes me cross that they are, but they are. 
things that he calls us to, the way that we're supposed to love our spouses and the way that we're supposed to live with each other, the way we're supposed to parent and discipline our children. The, the Bible calls us to wisdom. And he's saying, if you have Jesus as your master and you live according to the way he calls you to, you may even make enemies because they will think, I don't like that. That's ugly. That's horrible. But their wisdom is, is lost. It's not rooted in anything. This is the wisdom of God. And the more that we follow it, people will find that actually works. Over time, that makes sense. That's rooted in something, and they may see their lostness. They may see their destruction. The way that we live as Christians together, it shows our God is God. He knows what he's doing. He's the best. He defines love. He is the source of all wisdom. We trust him and we do it alongside one another. He says in chapter 3, verse 16 of Philippians, only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is, the, this is like the nugget that summarizes the whole thing. Let's just hold true to what we've attained. We've attained this great salvation. Why would we walk away from it? Why would we walk away from it? Why would I walk down to the kitchen with no slippers on and say to my wife, my feet are freezing. I gave you slippers, put them on. God wants us to wear this salvation. He wants us to be clothed in it. He wants us to live out of the goodness of it together. And Paul is saying, only let's hold true to what we've attained. This is his whole message Christ has given us victory, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, freedom from foolishness. He has overcome. I love the songs we sang this morning. He's overcome. He has set us apart from the world. Let us hold true to what he has done. That's what Paul's desire is, that we be people of the cross, slaves that are lifted up, safe from destruction, safe given wisdom to make well-informed choices as they honour Christ in their bodies, working out their salvation alongside one another in everyday life. They're not enemies of the cross. See, it's possible to be a Christian, somebody who's prayed the prayer, hoping to get to heaven one day and still be an enemy of the cross. I just want to finish with this because this is the, this is the parallel. That's not the right word, is it? This is the opposite of what we've been talking about this morning. And Paul summarizes in chapter 3, verses 17 to 21, what, what is the opposite of what we've been talking about. Brothers, he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, me and Timothy. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, he's gutted about this, they walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They just go after whatever they feel like. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Don't be an enemy of the cross, spurning it, forgetting about it. 
Do you, do you sing these songs? And I'm not judging anyone here because I've definitely done this. But do you sing these songs and think, not this one again. Can we get through this? I'm not, I'm not in the mood today. If you do, why not call out to God? God, help me. I need to be amazed again at the cross. How could I ever be numb to it? How could I ever look at the, the high king of heaven being crushed for my sake and think, okay, have we got anything new? We don't want to spurn the cross, becoming enemies of it, going after whatever our belly feels like going after. We want to be people who are of the cross. We've been set apart. We're no longer people of this broken, confused, lost and dark world. We are people of the cross, people of the light, people who have been given life through love incarnate. This really is worked out side by side. The wisdom of God, joy, glory, seeing God's fruitfulness, growth, it's his household with the people united in spirit and in mind. So just, just as I come to finish here, this is the question. Are you a slave? Are you happy happy to call yourself a slave of Christ? Are you saying, I didn't know that was part of the deal. I don't like that word. Slavery is a terrifying word. It's got terrible connotations. But there's something true in that Slavery in, slavery in and of itself is not the oppressor. The slave master is the oppressor. If the master is good, if the master is trustworthy, if the master lifts up, are you happy to be called a slave of Christ? Are you living as a per- person of the cross? Are you happy to call yourself, sorry, are you daily living in the light of the cross? Are you orbiting this son of righteousness? Are you quick to hold back trust from the one who's loved you more than you've loved yourself? You don't want to be an enemy of the cross, withholding. One day being ashamed when you stand before the one who still has scars in his hands for your sake and would lovingly embrace and accept you. He won't say away from me if you've put your faith in him, but there may be in you, oh, I could have trusted you so much more. I should have trusted you so much more. There was so much more. I could have honoured you. I could have trusted you. I could have chosen you more than I did, and I chose myself. Let's live in wisdom and in truth. We're going to celebrate seeing Alex and Flick get baptised now. As they say, we haven't just said we're ticking, joining the club, joining the church, but we're plunging ourselves into Jesus. And as we say goodbye to our old selves, we raise again in new life in Christ. And we do that in the context of the body of Hope Church. And they stand with us and we get side by side and we look to Christ together with them for the rest of the time that we're together in this church. For those of you listening in today who may not know this Jesus, I want to tell you something that Pendulette illustrated there is a truck coming there is a day of judgment where you will be face to face with love itself the God of the kingdom of heaven do you know him do you know him he offers salvation he's made a way for you to know him as Tom said last week he he's made a way for us to be reconciled brought back together with this God who we pulled ourselves away from through our rejection of him he's made a way for that to be dealt with through the cross
there is an offer of salvation. You too can be a person of the cross, one who calls Jesus Savior. And with tears of joy, you can surrender. You can call him Lord and Master. You can happily say, I will follow you for the rest of my days. Let me encourage you. Be in contact with us through our email, through our website. Please speak to somebody. Don't give up this opportunity to throw yourself on him and find life everlasting. Let me just pray and we're going to pass over to Tom. Father, we just thank you that we are not hopers in vain. We are not people who love emptily, emptily, uh, with emptiness. We are not people who, who follow our bellies, but we are people bound to Jesus. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father so that every knee may bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. There's no better place we could be. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to pull each other's perspective, pull each other's gaze to this risen Jesus this year, that more and more and more, through 2021, we would grow as a people of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.